reading today comes from 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You hear me? Yeah, there we go. We are in part four of our series, The Portrait of the Missional Family. And we are looking at different portions of the church. And particularly, we are talking to the, about the leaders. Uh, the last two weeks, I talked about elders. I talked about what they do, what is their role. And last week, I spent actually very, pretty much spent almost all the the. the the message talking about this previous, the passage prior to this, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 3, verses 1 through 7, which takes out all, which talks about all the different qualifications of what it means to be an elder, shepherd in the church. And today we are going to talk about deacons in a message that I've entitled Deacons, Servant Leaders for Christ. And we'll do this in three parts. Part one, the role of servant leaders. I think that's more or less, a, a, in a nutshell, what a deacon is. is a servant leader, one who leads others in the servanthood ministries of the church, part one. Part two, qualifications of deacons. And, uh, and then we're going to spend some time, I'm going to, like I did last week, breaking down this passage as it talks about deacons. And then part three, greatness through servant impact for the world. Right? Greatness through servant impact impact for the world. Um, the role of servant leaders. If you have your Bible, let me ask you today to uh, go back. We, I looked at this passage a few weeks ago at the beginning of the series. Go back to Acts chapter 6. If you're at Acts chapter 6, if you have your, you know, your phone app, oops, your phone app, or um, if you have your Bible open, go to Acts chapter 6. And this is the portion of Scripture that recounts um, how a division of leadership not a division in the sense that they were divided against each other, but a division of labor, um, a distinction in how the church would work. Um, and so in Acts chapter 6, there was a need for the care of widows and their children. And so the apostles gathered the whole church together. And I as I, if you recall that message, there were thousands of them. And... Um, I guess the, the apostles who are really the first pastors, they're the first elders of the church. Uh, they said, and here's what it says. So verse 6, chapter 6, verse 2, the 12, that is the 12 first disciples of Christ who became the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they took this very important work. They took this work of caring for the widows 
and for their children. And here it says in verse 2 that we can't stop doing the work of, of uh, being devoted to prayer and to the word and to preaching and sowing the gospel into the church and, um, so, that we can, so that we have to attend to this work of serving the tables that is serving the widows and their children. Instead, we want a certain set of people raised up. Pick seven of really your best guys. People filled with the spirit with deep Christ-like character, and they will be those who lead and spearhead this ministry. And it says here in verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve. That word serve is diakoneo. That is in Greek. That word diakoneo is the word where we get the word deacon. What is a deacon? What is the role of a deacon? A role of a deacon is a servant minister. That's what a a role, literally the word diaconale just means to serve. The word deacon is servant, except it is a servant that is set apart. One who has had hands laid upon him, and that's what also happens in Acts chapter 6. They set special men apart. They lay hands upon these people, which is a sign of ordination, of authority, of a special office. And that is the discussion that we're going to get into. And that is the qualifications that was described in the First Timothy 3 passage that was read to you earlier that I'm going to get at in a little bit later in the message. And so um, throughout the history of this church, the, the church has done more than simply preach and pray. Of course, those are supremely important. But the church serves. The church does ministry The church is not just an institutional gathering in a weird building for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. The church is you. The church goes out into the world. The church does ministry. And I I said to you in that first message, all the saints do ministry. And all the saints are not not super Christians. They're not not talking about the special Christians of, uh, of yesteryear that we called saints that in certain, certain denominations call saints, but the saints are you. The saints are everyone who believes in Jesus Christ through the gospel. You all have ministry, and who are those people who are here to unleash that ministry? Those people are the saints. I mean, I mean those people are the deacons, especially the leaders of the serving ministries of the church. Okay? So I gave you this, uh, this picture a few weeks ago, and I, I want to repeat it now because I think it's helpful. It's not exactly said in the Bible this way, but I think it's helpful. The church, according to the Bible, is the body of Christ. This is in the scriptures, that Jesus is the head and we are the body. And I, I, I tend to look at the elders as sort of like the spine. The elders give the church shape. The elders give the church uh, a, a strength and a backbone and a leadership. And the elders are connected to the head. So the spine is connected to the head. And then the spine is also the portion of the central nervous system. So that how do you know the will of the mind of the head? How does it get out to the rest of the body? Well, it's through the spine, the will of the head goes out to the rest of the body. That's what the role of the elders is, to, to oversee and to shepherd the whole church. But what do the deacons do? The deacons, as I said back then, were, they were like the arms and legs of the church because you all, you are, as sometimes we like to say, the church are like the hands and feet of Christ. The feet go where the gospel needs to be proclaimed. 
the hands touch and do the ministry, the hands-on serving work of the church. So ministry is not only something that happens inside this building, it happens outside of the world, and that's what the whole church does. And the deacons are like the arms and the legs. They unleash the hands and the feet. They lead the hands and the feet in the serving ministries of the church. So um, what are some of, uh, the, some of the things that, uh, that deacons do? Well, quite frankly, they can do almost everything that is in need in the church. But specifically, as the church sees that there's important portions of serving ministry that require serving leadership, authoritative leadership, an example, and placed in the hands of very qualified men of, of, of strong Christ-like character, this is what deacons do. So to give you an example, um, so some of the common things that deacons do in a lot of different churches, in fact, most of the churches and even throughout many different denominations, so examples are they do ministries of mercy, Ministries of mercy. So this is why in Acts chapter 6, uh, they, they attended to the widows and to their children. And by the way, ministries of mercy are not merely only to those people who are financially poor. They may be people who need counseling, people who, who are in grief, people who are wrestling with depression. Um, the, the deacons of the church would help unleash the church and spearhead and, 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 then, and then tend to organize that type of ministry. Um, other things that deacons have commonly done, they tend to handle the finances. So, especially in, in a church like ours, it's elder-led. There may be one particular elder that, is, that oversees, because the elders, as I, as I taught in the last couple weeks, they're the overseers. They may oversee the finances, but the actual handling of the funds and the money is, is very often handled by the deacons, right? by some of the deacons. Um, other work that deacons do, deacons may handle the upkeep of the building. There's a lot of work that needs to be done so that you and I can enjoy this nice building. Um, especially in the modern age, buildings, there's lots of laws and codes. And um, like just to, to, to name one example, do you know that in Silicon Valley that a building like this requires a, uh, a, toxic, gas, <laughs> a toxic gas sensor? It's required by code. And so there is a deacon in our church who understands that code, who made sure that we had that proper sensor um, placed into our building, and then, is, and then make sure that we're up to code on that. And then that, that's, that's inspected regularly um, by our city. So there, I don't know how to handle that, uh, but there are certain deacons in our church. They keep those things up to date. When something breaks down in our church, there are certain facilities deacons that we contact. So that's an important piece of work. Um, so that the, the gospel ministry can go forward and the gospel can be, can be proclaimed, the family of God can gather. And that's not work you want um, the pastors and the elders uh, to, be, uh, to have to always bring around doing, so we're really thankful for our deacons who do that type of work. Um, they do, they do uh, um, a lot, in a lot of churches, deacons will organize systems of care. And so... Um, let me just, uh, for an example, there may, uh, th there is in our church, one of the deacons uh, has taken it upon himself, and then they all the, the rest of the council and the elders look to him for this leadership. Um, he handles pretty much whenever there is somebody in our church, when somebody passes away in our church or is related to somebody in our church. 
Um, I don't know if you realize this, but that's a very, very delicate time. People are obviously there in a lot of pain and grief, but there's a lot of practical needs that need to happen during that period of time, such as uh, what's a good mortuary to go to, a funeral home? What's a good cemetery um, to, um, to bury your loved ones in? How do you handle all these types of processes? How do we get announcements out so loved ones can come um, to honor uh, those people uh, who, who have passed away? And I'm not sure if I, I learned about this by hanging out with this deacon, and he um, he went ahead and uh, um, he went ahead and educated me on some of this because he has done this work, and I don't know if you know this, but um, a lot of uh, a lot of funeral homes rip off people, <laughs> a lot of cemeteries. Um, people aren't usually looking for deals at that time because they're grieving, but guess what? A lot of people are very shady, and prey upon people in this time of hurt, and. It's really fantastic. I thought one, the first time I, this happened in our church and I, and I um, got to uh, walk with our deacon and I watched him work, I, I was astounded. I was thinking, wow, what an incredible piece of work this deacon does in our church. Very unassuming. Most of you don't know about it. And of course, it only happens sometimes. And by the way, it's going to happen this week. Um, one of the retired elders in our church, his wife passed away last weekend in a terrible car accident. And so uh, that deacon, he is at work this week um, doing this very, very important work. He also does something else. Um, people, a year after, for those of you who have lost a loved one, you know about this, a year after the anniversary, after a, lo a loved one has passed away, that can be an especially painful time in the family that deacon remembers all those times. <laughs> and he reminds various people to be especially loving to that family during those times. So this is all deacon work, or diaconal work. That's uh, coming from that word diaconeo, right? Um, and so this, these kinds of hands-on care are very, very, hands-on care and servanthood are some of the important works of the church. And you can see this is how tremendously important, and you want somebody, you want somebody who has gospel maturity, who has strong character, someone that you, is very reliable to be the, the, the face of our church, the hands and feet and care to lead this type of, uh, lead this type of ministry. Um, to just give you a few more examples, to just help you just get a feel for the role of the deacon, let me give you just a few examples of some of the other um, uh, ministries of, of, of the, from the diaconate that was done from my um, previous church because they had a very, very active diaconate. I thought it was one of the best diaconates I've ever seen in a church, and I want to just share with you some of the things that they did. This is a church that my wife and I were a part of when we lived in greater Philadelphia. This is called New Life Presbyterian Church, and they're in a town called Glenside. All right, That's a, It's a suburb of Philadelphia. So here are some of the things that... Um, the, uh, the New Life uh, deacons did, they handled all the mercy funds. At their church, the mercy funds are very significant. They had a whole separate account. They actually had a whole separate offering basket. And um, the, the funds for that would become very significant. And the elders may oversee that money, but they didn't actually handle that money. Um, they didn't make the day-to-day -day decisions about how to handle those funds. All the deacons did that work. Um, what else did they do? Uh, they made important decisions such as, so for a lot of people who come in for mercy ministry who are in places of poverty, they don't only just have financial need. 
Oftentimes, uh, they have is issues of addiction, of grief. They need counseling. And so actually, a good chunk of, of, the, of the mercy funds of that church went to counseling needs. And so um, counseling and, those, and that type of therapy requires a great deal of, uh, of, 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 of discernment, of confidentiality. And so both in terms of how to use the money and how to sensitively um, help, uh, help those people who need this type of care and of brokenness, the, all the deacons did that. It wasn't the elders at that church, right? The elders would usually once a year would um, take, uh, take oversight to make sure and, then, and sometimes give them some leadership and guidance and, um, and some counsel. But for the most part, all the deacons were entrusted with that very, very important work. Um, other things that the, the deacons did at that church, um, they, there were, this is a church that was in a lower middle class community. There's a significant amount of poverty in the community. And um, when you have ministries like this, those people, they, they come into the church. And we love that they come into the church. And a number of single mothers were in the church. And single mothers, they often were poor. They couldn't afford their cars. Or their cars would break down. Or they were just, you know, they can't afford to get a new one when their cars don't work anymore. And so the deacons in their church started a car ministry. <laughs> and so people in the church would donate cars to the church. They wouldn't call 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS. <laughs> they would call their deacons. <laughs> and guess what? Some of those deacons were very good with car repairs. Some of them could fix cars, and some of them very knowledgeable about cars. And some of them had done the work of finding out who all the best mechanics in the neighborhood were who were the most uh, reliable, honest, and mechanics who did good work. Some of those mechanics would give a discount to the church and for this diaconal ministry, mercy ministry work. And so um, they took care of the car ministry. Um, and other things that they did, um, deacons in that church also were very supportive of adoptions. The church was very forthright about being strongly pro-life, I think, as every church should be. So the church was very encouraging toward adoptions. The deacons took in a special offering every year. That offering would be specifically to encourage and help families who want to move toward adoptions because adoptions on the front end can be expensive. And so they, they, they would handle those funds. They also would help educate and train the congregation about adoptions. And so a number of the deacons became very knowledgeable about adoptions and all the different International adoptions, domestic ad adoptions, foster care. Who are all the different government agencies? What are all the different laws? And every now and, and every once a year, the deacons would sponsor a different speaker and do different um, training education about adoptions and celebrate different adoptions that had happened in the church. Um, one other thing that the, that the deacons did at that church, which I, th I simply thought was incredibly just fantastic, is around um, the city or crisis pregnancy centers. Have you ever, any of you ever heard of crisis pregnancy centers? Really what they are, are they're, they're ministry outlets for um, oftentimes women, oftentimes they're poor, who have had unintended pregnancies. And really what they are is they are saying, we will care for you, please don't abort your child. Right? And so really it's, a, it's an alternative witness against all the different abortion abortion clinics that are saying, well, we'll solve your problems. Well, we'll uh, basically kill killing your child. Instead, 
these women need help. These women need encouragement and prayer and love and how to help them carry their child, either to keep their child or to give their child for adoption. And that's what crisis pregnancy centers do. They're, they're typically run by Christians, both, both Protestants and Catholics. And um, the deacons at the church, some of them worked <laughs> in, in the crisis pregnancy centers. So, um, some of them um, helped spearhead the support of the crisis pregnancy centers from the church. So these are some of the things that, that, that the deacons do to make a difference and impact the world. Okay? Do you think this is important work? I do. It is tremendously important work. So these are some of the, the roles of the deacons to fill out the church so the church can make great impact in the world. Um, the role of the deacon as servant leaders. Let's go to part two. Let me ask you now to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as, it, as I did last week, I'm going to, uh, to go through this passage piecemeal. And last week, as you can see, there's a certain amount of overlap because, again, the, the, the scriptures don't check out a deacon's GPA. <laughs> they, don't, they don't look at you and go like, hey, what college did you graduate from? And let's show us your resume. What they're interested in is, to put it quote unquote, the resume of his character, of his faith. Right? And that's what 1 Timothy 3 is helping us to be able to discern. And I'm going to go through this. Um, and so that you and so that all of you, it's all of us who have to know who is qualified to be a deacon. I hope there'll be a number of you who want to be deacons, right? At the very least, we all need to know who's qualified to be a deacon. And uh, let's go through this. Chapter 3, verse 8. Deacons, likewise, likewise like the elders, that is, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. Let's just um, stop there, verse 8. Um, well, not greedy for dishonest gain. So let me break each of those things down. I, I gave this a good, good bit of thought. It says they're ones of dignity. That's what it says in the Greek. They must be ones of dignity. And I gave a good bit of thought. Why that? Why that description? And I think it has to do with because a lot of this work is not, it's, it's sometimes somewhat thankless work. It's behind the scenes work. It's not glamorous work. Um, I, I, I don't know if you think of it. Some people think being the pastor is kind of glamorous. He's up front. He, uh, his name is known. Um, his name is often on the, on the bulletin. People see that he's supposed to have power and authority in the church. And oftentimes, but deacons are those who lead people, sometimes in lowly work, very hands-on work. But, and in this world, people look down upon that work. And yet, what... Why should the person have dignity? And when I think about dignity and dignified, I think about someone who stands tall. <laughs> Not someone who's ashamed of his work or is like, oh, all I do is, all I do is the facilities deacon work. No. <laughs> He's one who understands this is very important ministry that stands and impacts the world, sometimes even has, has eternal impact. A person stands tall. And even though he may do work that gets down into low places and even in very messy places in the world, a work that a lot of people don't necessarily respect because in our world, we're very prideful and we think money and power and fame are the most important things. Instead, the scriptures talk first. That's the very first thing. 
a person should have dignity. Now, let me think about this. Um, when I, as I thought about this, do you know Jesus, Jesus did diaconal work. <laughs> do you realize that? Jesus literally touched lepers and, and loved widows and embraced children and had dinner with prostitutes. If you ask me, that sounds like a deacon to me. He, he went and he was the highest king of kings, and yet he had a lowly servant's heart. And there are certain um, pastors, they say, they said that he is like a royal king. He's a royal servant. It's a strange way of putting it. He's a servant, but there was a certain royalty to him. And I think, I think that's why deacons must, have, must be dignified, because there should be a, they should stand tall like Jesus, a certain royal servanthood. Um, they must not be double-tongued. I don't think this is too hard. You don't want a person going into sensitive places uh, to, be, to have dishonesty, to talk one way to one person and another way to another person. You don't want a person who's in charge of very sensitive mercy funds um, to say, oh, we'll care for you, <laughs> and then turn around and then share gossip about a person who's broken and hurting in the church. We want a person who knows how to control their tongue and knows how to handle their mouth and their heart with a certain consistency and not be double-tongued. And double-tongued also has certainly to do with integrity about honesty, of funds, and so forth. Um, not addicted to much wine. <laughs> this is a person that may be um, uh, may, maybe ministering to someone who has addictions, and we don't want that person that doesn't mean that they themselves may not have been afflicted in the past. In fact, sometimes those are the best people to minister. A person who themselves had, uh, had wrestled with alcohol addiction, sometimes they're the best people or the front lines. But they can't be like, the person says, oh, I, I, I want to drink, why have a drink with me? And then that person will fall to, fall to, the, uh, to the enslavements and the hurts of the other people. Right? Um, not greedy for dishonest gain. And I've, no, I've no, noticed, uh, I thought about this. It's said a little bit differently than, than the portion that it said for the elders. The elders, it said that the elders cannot be a lover of money. It was, a, it was a, the emphasis is on what the person loves from their heart. But here, it's saying greedy for dishonest gain. The emphasis, I think, is on dishonesty. Less just on money but how the money is acquired. And so, again, a person who handles the finances, a person who's going to oversee the mortgage of our building, a person who is who's going to handle mercy finances, a lot, a lot of money may pass through. And by the way, money is not the only form of gain. Sometimes a person may take a certain authority and name inside the church, and they want to gain power. They want to gain Influence. They want to gain control inside the church, and they can, they can handle that with a lack of integrity and dishonesty. It's not the kind of person. It's very important that we, don't have, we have a person with very high integrity um, in, this, in this office, in this role. Verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Um, I want to say two, two comments about this. Um, one... I think this is really pretty straightforward. On the one hand, they must say, 
I definitely believe in the gospel. <laughs> Our faith, I, well, I stand for the gospel and I believe in Christ and he is the hope of the world and he is our riches when we are poor. He is our strength when we are, when we are weak. And this is why I do this work. Um, but I, I gave some thought why it didn't just say that. Why didn't it just say like, like with the elders that he, he must be able to, he must have good teaching or he must be able to teach or can handle his doctrine and know the scriptures. Why didn't it say it that way? It said it in a, in a very odd way. It said, it says in the, in the passage that he must hold the mystery of the faith with a good conscience. And here is um, my proposal as to why I think it's said that way. When a person does, um, does this very servant work of the church, especially if he goes into hurting, um, hurting quarters of ministry in the church, you're going to meet people with hurts and doubts. They may be in a very dark place, a person with addictions. Think about if a person, um, the person in, in our church who may be the front line to meet someone who has lost a loved one. Imagine if there was someone in our church, and I hope this never happens, but it may very well happen, if there's someone who loses a child um, through death or through accident, and the deacon is the person who's going to be the front line to go meet that person, to bring the care, the hands and the feet of care to that person from the church. That person may be filled with darkness, with anger, maybe doubting the goodness of God, maybe even doubting the existence of God, even if they've been a Christian for quite some time. And so it is in that time we need a person who has a certain foundation in the gospel, who when they reach into the mystery of darkness and evil in the world, because the gospel doesn't give us the answer to everything, especially into why some of those really hard things happen. The Bible doesn't give us an answer. There is a sense of mystery, too, because God's not going to give us every answer. But he can say, with respect to the gospel and how the gospel doesn't give us necessarily why this happened to you, but how the cross will promise there is a good God who has good reasons and he will be there for you. And that's why I'm here. And I want to direct you back to the gospel. And so we want a person who holds the mystery of the faith with a certain strength and a certain solidness. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Next verse. Um, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Again, I don't think this is really hard to say. Uh, we don't want a person who's a rookie. We don't want just a person who's just an immediately new, new Christian or a person without a sense of, of maturity, a church of uh, a sense of patience, a sense of uh, these are some of the hurts and, or that these are some of the laws. We want someone who's tested who knows how to handle some of these things, whether they're talking about the laws of our city or the brokenness of people. And then it says there, let the, the, that they may prove themselves blameless. And I think blameless, the way I look at blameless, I think it's similar to when it said last week of how the elders sh should be above reproach. Again, not perfectly blameless, because who could stand up to be up to that standard, but that they would be blameless in that in that they can't be blamed for something that we would feel disqualifies them from, from their responsibility of being a servant leader. 
So for instance, if they were a thief, <laughs> like, hey, you're, you, you've ripped people off with money, um, I don't think we want you handling the mercy funds. Or we don't want you to be the person spearheading the care of our, our, our missionaries because there's a whole separate mi um, um, missions funds because, and I think, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you that, that is a person that can be blamed and I think that would disqualify from them from that work. So we're not talking about a perfection in terms of their holiness, because that would be nobody, but in terms of them being able to carry out their, their office and their responsibilities. Um, this next verse, verse, uh, verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. This is very interesting. Here there's a specific description about wives. And let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. So that, again, that's similar to like, to an elder should be, he should be a good father and a husband. Um, but I want to get into a, a topic here. That's, and I can't say everything about this, and this gets into a, a difficult and sticky matter. Can a deacon be a woman? <laughs> Can a deacon be a woman? Because if he has to have a wife, <laughs> or if he generally has a wife, and unlike our culture right now, I know this is a very controverted point in our culture, the Bible is very clear that only a guy can have a wife, okay? And so uh, um, here it would seem to imply from this passage that, it, um, that a deacon needs to be a man. Um, but um, I want to talk about this for a little bit. And I can't say everything exhaustive about this, this point, but I want to get into this question. Because there is disagreement in the churches about this point, whether a deacon can be a man whether a deacon can be a woman as well. Um, the word there in verse 11 is, when it says wives, it actually doesn't literally say wives in Greek. The word there is women. So the word is the women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, not sober-minded, faithful in all things. And some have argued that, um, some have argued that that means that there can be women deacons. The women... Deacons must also be sober-minded, etc., and have all those other qualities, too. And in one sense, that makes sense, because certainly why can't women do this kind of servant work? Um, women aren't going to be like fathers in the church, shepherding the church like fathers in church like elders are, but women can certainly be servants and certainly lead in servant, can't they? <laughs> right? And many churches have made that argument, and across many different denominations, including very biblically strong and theologically conservative denominations, they are divided on this point, and they, and they argue about this text for, for exactly this reason. But um, I think there are three possible readings of this passage. And one is, as, as, a, as this English ESV standard translation is, the word means wives. And here's why. It says in the very next verse, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. And there again, it doesn't say husband and wife. It really says a man of one woman. That's really, literally says man, one woman, man. Man, one woman. And it also says that in, in, the, in the passage on elders, and nobody thinks that that doesn't have to do with husbands and wives. Everybody knows that the context there is talking about marriage. Let him be a one-woman man. And I talked that to, 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 um, uh, taught that to you last week about the issues of polygamy and divorce and all those issues. And, and for those of you who want to review that message or didn't hear it, you can hear last week's message. 
Um, there, the context is clearly about marriage. And so I do think um, there's very good reasons why that was translated, because it's the exact same word, women, women, one woman, women, women, one, it's just a plural there. He's talking about their wives must have dignity. And so that's one particular interpretation which the ESV translators gave, which I actually think is a good translation. I do think it's a good translation. And um, for, because the context of verse 12 is clearly marriage. Hmm? That's one. So only men can be deacons. A second uh, version is what I just argued with you. A lot of people say, well, it said women so that they can be deacons too. So some churches say women can be deacons. Right? But there's a third position that some churches have staked out. And this is very interesting because, uh, and this is one of the arguments that the pro-women deacons of group have, have said. Hey, it, there's another passage in the scripture. This is Romans chapter 16, verse 1. And there's a woman named there, and her name is Phoebe. Um, some, some, there's some very specific family who might be interested in knowing about that name in this, in this church, okay? Um, her name is Phoebe, and Phoebe is described as a servant of the church, but that word servant in Romans 16 is diakonos. <laughs> that is deacon. Phoebe is described as a deacon, and some have called her a deaconess in the church in Romans chapter 16. So how can she be called a deacon if there's in some kind of deacon role. And so what it says, it never says that she had her hands laid upon as ordained and set apart like it did in Acts chapter 6. It's very interesting. In Acts 6, all those men who were set apart for that special role, they were all men, seven special men. They were all men. And hands were laid on them, ordained and set apart specifically. And so some churches have argued that there can be a kind of deacon role for women but they should be under the leadership of the authorized people who have been ordained and have had their hands laid upon, as, as in Acts chapter 6. So they think there should be a distinction between the way Phoebe is described in Romans 16 and Acts chapter 6 described those deacons. And so that's a kind of third view that there can be kind of like deacons and who are men and women who are appointed by the church, but then there's a special set of deacons who will be permanently have this role, um, who are ordained and set apart and have the special authority and office of the ordained deacon. And there are a number of churches that use this type of, of perspective. So just to give you some view, like um, the, 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 the Christian Reformed Church, our denomination allows for women deacons, women to be ordained as deacon. Um, there, are some, there are some, even in, the, in, in certain conservative Presbyterian churches, some say women can't be deacons just because, because it says they, uh, uh, the wife. But then some say they use this third route, and some say, well, women, it's very actually needed and important at times for women to do this diaconoric, even at times when the ordained deacon goes to, to uh, minister to certain families, he will often bring his wife along, which, which is, it makes all the sense in the world why the, the qualifications include what his wife is like, because they're going to do this side by side oftentimes. And so um, there are times when my wife and I go and serve, and I'm not necessarily going there immediately to preach, but sometimes I'm really going to do a more of a hands-on care, which is really more like deacon's work, and my wife and I will go do that together. We want to raise up people to do that. And we want to let you know 
that that third route is the way our church does it. Actually, a lot of the Korean Presbyterian churches have do it that way. They have appointed deacons who are men and women, but the ordained deacons are only men, and that's the way our church does it. And I do think that's, that's a good way, and I think that's a good way also being faithful to the Bible, and it's also wise in terms of practice, okay? I know that was a mouthful. It's an important issue. Now, I know some of this is, these issues are hard, and some of you are kind of disturbed and maybe even offended, both men and women. I don't assume only the women. <laughs> I think some of the men. And, um, and these issues about men and women in, in the, offices, uh, uh, office, uh, the offices of the church, it's such an important and sensitive issue. And our, our culture really wrestles with this, the, these questions. And so um, next week, next week I'm going to devote a whole message specifically to this issue. Okay, why? Well, um, on why men can only have certain roles and, and, and women. I'm going to talk about that all next week. And so if you have certain questions in mind, you can email me, but you can also wait till next week. And then after next week, then, then you can try to shoot me, okay? <laughs> okay? So uh, um, anyway, so that's, um, I, I did want to spend some time in there because this passage definitely brings up that issue. Um, one more portion of the qualifications and then let me get to um, close out my message. It says there in um, verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? Um, actually, it's not so much a, a qualification about the deacon, but it's a blessing. It's a kind of twofold blessing that is specific to the deacons, the role of deacons. And uh, one, it says, so let, let me talk a little bit about that. One, it says that they have a good standing. And I think on, on the one hand, it's very, it's obvious. Do they have a good standing in the church? Do other people in God's kingdom and in the church recognize those are godly men, those are godly leaders. Those, they are worthy of our emulation as servants to help uh, raise up the hands and feet of the church. There are their arms and legs. If you want to know what it's like to be a servant in the church, almost everybody we need, one of the simplest ways that we learn is simply by looking, by example. And if you look at the deacons in the church, if you want to know what, what some of the, um, the, the deacons in our church and how hard they work, I, I could just introduce you to some of the deacons in the church and you can ask them what they do. And you can ask to tag along in what they do, except until once they do something confidential, and then they'll kick you out of the room. They're like, okay, you need to get out for this. All right? But um, obviously, they have good standing in our church. And you'll say, wow, I didn't know that this is what it takes to make our church strong and do all the things that we do and to bless so many people. So in, on one sense, it's obvious that this is why they receive a good standing in the church. But I don't think this is all it says. I think this says that deacons receive a good standing, not just in the, the local church, but they receive a good standing before God. The gospel inaugurates an upside-down kingdom. And I said this earlier, the values of the world are all those people who are powerful and upfront and visible and glamorous, and they do all that kind of work, and they have riches and power and fame and so forth. But a lot of this diaconic, they're behind the scenes. And they're much more unassuming. And sometimes they go into dark and hard places. And, but isn't this like 
Jesus. And Jesus says, very, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. You must be a servant, which is exactly what deacons do. And I, I know that some people will think this is a rather daring interpretation of this passage, but I don't think so. I think there's a lot of scriptural um, support for this. I think that when we all stand before Jesus in the fullness of the kingdom, the deacons will be among the highest, most honored people. They will be those who will say, these were the people who are high. They have very good standing in the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes even the pastors and elders will be down here. <laughs> and the deacons will be up there. And you know what? Nobody will complain. We'll say those, they have great standing in, in the kingdom. right? And it says that they will gain um, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Ha. Huh. I want to en encourage some of you. I, I, I hear a number of you have said to me at various points, you know, my faith just is, I'm weak in my faith. I need to grow in my faith. Or my faith is shaky. Or I just feel so, dis you know, lacking in motivation. Pastor, I don't know. But um, I see so many passive Christians, especially immature Christians and baby Christians, and they're just kind of waiting for something. I'll just go to church, just kind of just feed on the milk, and then just kind of wait for something to happen, and doing a kind of minimal Christianity. And how, but it says here that deacons will receive great confidence in the faith. How do deacons do great confidence in the faith? And so one of the simple ways I want to put this to you, if you want to grow in your faith, and receive confidence in your faith, you know how? Go serve. Stop thinking about the way you feel. Go and do the serving work. So just give you one, um, to, to go back to, um, there is a, I'm thinking about the deacon in our church. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just name uh, Joseph and Nathan. This is your dad. You should be proud of your dad. I think he's, he's great, right? Um, and do you think a man who goes and visits people when they've lost a loved one, Joseph's dad doesn't think he's some kind of preacher and he's, he's strong in the Bible, so he's like, oh, I can't really be teaching the Bible, but he goes with care. And he goes with kindness and mercy, and people know he's from the church, and he does this for Jesus. And when he goes into people's lives with that seemingly seemingly small piece of service and he does this with grace with Christ and he sees their reaction and time and time again they say to him I don't know how we could have got through this without you we're so grateful for you we're so grateful for the church and how they come into our life in this time of grief and if you don't experience that you think a person experiencing that again and again that won't begin to help you realize how incredibly powerful the gospel is how true the gospel is and give you confidence in your faith? Of course it will. So it's a tremendous blessing. If you want your, if you want your faith fed, hang out with the deacons. Chase what they know. Chase their servanthood. Right? Let me close um, this message. Part three of my message is greatness through servant impact for the world. I hope you will agree with me that this work is, is incredibly important. Just, just uh, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you have any doubts, just think about it this way. 
What if there were only pastors and elders but no deacons? Would not the church be incredibly weak? Would not the world look at us and ignore us? Because you guys are all just a bunch of praying, religious kind of guys. But Or wouldn't, at the very least, the pastors and elders just be exhausted? <laughs> and they probably wouldn't be very good at praying and teaching and preaching and mentoring and shepherding, right? Because their time would be so divided. I want to share with you a, a passage to close this, this message. It was actually the, our Monday quiet time devotional from this week. It's from Matthew chapter 20. And there's a very interesting discussion that happens in Matthew chapter 20. Um, the mother of two of the disciples come up to Jesus and make a very odd request to him. And the, the, the two disciples are James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So Zebedee's wife, their mom, came up. And they said, Jesus, would you, uh, I'd like a request of you, my sons, and she already can tell that James and John are special. Of the 12, there's three that were in Jesus' inner circle. They were James, John, and Peter. She could tell, oh, all oh, those guys are in the inner circle. She says, when you're in the fullness of your kingdom, Jesus, can James and John sit at your right and your left hand? <laughs> That's like saying, can one be the vice president and the other one be secretary of state? <laughs> and then they get to run the whole nation and everything, okay? That's what she thinks she's asking for. And Jesus goes, you don't have any idea what you're asking for. And you know what he said? Can they? He turned to them and says, can you drink the cup that I drink? And you know what they said? Sure, Jesus. <laughs> you know what? They didn't know at the time, but Jesus is saying, my cup, is the cross. And the cross is Jesus' form of servanthood to us. And here's how he put it. Verse 26. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, all those people who don't know God, they lord it over them and the great ones exercise authority and power. Right? But that's not the way it's going to be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, even as I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to be served, but he came to serve. And I said to you last week, how did he come to serve? He came to go into our darkest places and serve us in our most terrible and our most profound need. And he served us through the servanthood of the cross. And I said to you last week that all the elders are shepherds, and they're supposed to shepherd the flock to the chief shepherd, and they're supposed to shepherd like the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Well, today I'd like to say to you, all the deacons are to serve and lead the church in the, in the incredibly important ministry of servanthood, and they're supposed to do it like the chief servant, Jesus Christ. Before any of the deacons were ordained, there was one truly great deacon, 
one truly great servant leader. His name is Jesus. I think Jesus is the chief deacon. And if you would serve like Jesus, if deacons would serve like Jesus, would they not be great and impact the world? And so, just as elders are called to shepherd unto and to the chief shepherd, I ask that one day that I hope that soon, very soon, we will raise up deacons who will serve and serve like and for the chief deacon, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, um, as we go to your table, we thank you. We thank you for our deacons, those faithful men. And then we have many women deacons in our church too who faithfully serve in so many different ways. Just, I, I thank you so much for them. I pray that our members' eyes would be open to their importance, indeed, even to their greatness. The greatness which is like Jesus. And as we go now to your table, Lord, I pray that as we take in your body, as we, as we drink from your cup, we would drink the cup of servanthood. We would take in the humble greatness of the servant chief deacon Jesus Christ and and today from this very meal you would start a movement and a seed that over the years to come an army of deacons will be unleashed out of our church to the impact of our city as we go to your table now bless us and we be in awe of your of all your wonderful servants leaders the deacons we pray that there'll be men and women who long to chase after this glory. Just the glory, the upside down glory, the greatest glory and greatness that there ever is. The servant greatness of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.